Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wicked Side. This is Brenna speaking, and uh, I got another special guest with me today. I have my friend Rachel here. You want to say hi? Hello. Hi. <laughs> um, I know her from um, my work, so I think, yeah, met through the tattoos and our mutual love of true crime. Yes. So we both have a, a deep and morbid fascination that we're not apologetic for. <laughs> That's actually how I really got into true crime, actually. I yeah. saw your tattoos for the My Favorite Murder podcast. Mm-hmm. And I saw the tattoos, and I loved them. And then I think you had said My Favorite Murder. And I think I may have mm-hmm. messaged you, and I, and I asked you, what is My Favorite Murder? And you told me it was a podcast. Yes. I had not listened to a single podcast until then. Yeah. So then I really got into it, and now I listen to a bunch of them, and I'm really excited to be here because when I found out you were doing this, I got really excited. Yeah. I Oh, God. I, I fell down that rabbit hole, too. Mm-hmm. I started with my favorite murder, but it ventured out into several others. But my other favorite one is Lore, which is really yes. good. I love Lore. Mm-hmm. And then I just started a new one. Um, I've talked about him several times, but Simon Whistler, the guy who has the geographics and... Um, top tens and he has a bunch of youtube channels but he started a podcast called the casual criminalist okay and it's really good and the nifty british accent so (laughs) i'm a sucker for that (laughs) i will definitely check those out then because sometimes i need a break from all of the true crime yeah so i kind of venture into other things just for a little palate cleanser and he's a good one for that because um he does a lot of like history stuff too which is like right up my alley but it's all interesting and biographics is another one that he does where he focuses on individuals and like goes over their life really interesting stories so i i do highly recommend him because he's just it's really good he's got a really good writing team and uh they just make a lot of cool content yeah and it's break you do definitely need a break sometimes Yeah. yeah being a true crime fan yeah palate cleanser is is important you need to have that yes getting into it for me personally uh, i always feel as if you hear about haunted houses haunted castles abandoned sanatoriums but what always interested me a little more was more active places places that are still in use that might currently be haunted or have any kind of interesting stories as to things they can't explain phenomena, events um, and hospitals to me are kind of this weird carousel of mortality you know a weird revolving door of life and death over and over and and I always found that really interesting and fascinating and I thought you know what about hospitals there's got to be some good stories from that you know patients that maybe never leave or staff that never clock out or maybe just you know other lost souls that are kind of drawn to that cycle of of birth and death I don't know. I thought it, it would be a cool thing to explore. And then it turns out this was a much harder episode to write than I thought it was going to be. And we will kind of get into that because there are some reasons why that I think are important for us to talk about. I know especially, you know, you and I both have, that's another connection that we have, you know, as we have children on the spectrum and the kind of demonization of the mentally ill or the mentally disabled that you see again and again in history. And unfortunately, as much as I love everything paranormal it is something that they cash in on hard and i think it's something that needs to change you know like it it all is kind of a cash in on misery we get that and we're you know accepting of it it's just a part of humanity but this is a part that i feel is getting into a dangerous area you know people are getting just a little too comfortable with being afraid of people who are mentally ill or mentally disabled um, that is something we are going to go over a little bit later, I think. I I was looking for spooky stories. I really wanted to define spooky stories, but leave it to nurses. <laughs> uh, just found a lot of heartwarming stuff. <laughs> Some really beautiful stories that I thought were just very touching. And I'm not, I, I'm not surprised because a lot of nurses that I know and you know, personally are just very sweet, very hardworking people. So the fact that they have a sweet spin on something that is otherwise supposed to be terrifying is like, yeah, that figures. (laughs) Before we get too far into it, um, I do want to explain a little bit of my thoughts on Ghost because I've said before that I am a bit of a skeptic, but I do believe, and it's a weird kind of thing, you know, I know a lot of people don't get. For me... I kind of think that 
ghosts aren't so much a mystical thing as they are uh, like a time and space thing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. So as I think I've talked about this, I talked about it on the live stream, the Halloween one. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the people that believe that ghosts are kind of a result of loops in time. So we know time doesn't happen in a linear pattern the way we experience it. It folds, it loops, it, it you know, laps over and, and things like that. And I tend to think that ghosts are just uh, places where time touches itself, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we can kind of get echoes back and forth. And um, I think it explains pretty much everything as far as like residual or intelligent hauntings um, things of that nature because with the residuals it's repeating over right. and over and I kind of think that's a place where time you know a place in time is just thinner on one side where I think intelligent hauntings are places where the fabric's thinner on both sides and it kind of allows a very primitive kind of communication mm-hmm. that's kind of what I think goes start like what do I know I'm a tattoo artist from the midwest <laughs> not an expert by any means so it's it's very uh feasible that I am wrong and way, way off base. But, you know, if we have anybody, uh, any physicist who listen, who right. can set me straight, <laughs> that'd be great. But so far, nobody who who does know anything about that has told me, no, you're dumb. So I don't, right. I don't until know. Until then. Yeah. Until then, you know, that's what I tend to, to believe with it. There's just too many stories that are too consistent for me to dismiss ghost stories entirely. At least that's how I feel. Anyway, enough of my musings, back on topic. I began to wonder what kind of stories staff had at hospitals, stories professionals, who spend so much of their daily lives in those places. So I began to look it up, and it turns out a lot of professionals have stories to tell. Some of these led down rabbit holes that I had to pull myself out of a few times. A lot of websites that just, like, were for nurses that had, like, their stories on it. I thought that was really cool. Getting to see their entries and their stories from their perspective and their words. I thought it was really cool. Also, uh, they were all real short. <laughs> they, I don't I don't know if it's because of the profession or, or you just, you know, not embellishing mm-hmm. and just getting to right. the point. Right. You know, this is what I saw. This is how it appeared to me. That's the end of the story. Bye. You know? And I love it. It's succinct. It's, there's nothing wrong with it unless you're trying to write a whole podcast right. around it. That makes sense, though. Those nurses' notes are very succinct, mm-hmm. right to the point. Yeah. I feel like you kind of have to be, though. You right. can't really um, write a novel about a patient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the doctor just needs the the information. I've, I think I read somewhere like that the average, the average ER doctor only sees their patients for like a total of 30 seconds. Wow. And then they're in, they're out long enough to diagnose, and then they, they're gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Um, I'm like, that's a wild statistic if it's true, but I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. That's something I would have to look up later. I thought that was weird. But yeah, you spend so much of your life there. It's a it's a career that involves so much time, mm-hmm. and the shifts are stupidly long, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. Is there a reason why they're so long? Do you know? I don't know. It's crazy to me. It's the same at the nursing homes, though. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Really, really long. Long shifts, yeah. Oof. And nursing homes, that would be one that I imagine is hard. Getting attached to, to patients and, yeah. That's, that's what I do. That's where I work. In yeah. a nursing home. Mm-hmm. I love it, though. Yeah. I love the elderly. They have the best stories. They do. They one of the best. So the, one much. of the perks of my job. Mm-hmm. Hearing so many different stories from so many different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember like listening to a comedian who was talking about that, how he went and he performed at a nursing home and he was really nervous about it because he was like worried that it was just going to be a kind of a bland crowd. Mm-hmm. And he said it was one of the best shows he had. And he was talking to the staff later and he told them his fears and the staff told him, well, that's kind of the prejudice we're fighting against. These people are very much alive. Mm-hmm. They very much want to live. They're not dead. They're not checking out, you right. know? They're alive, and they're happy, and they're experiencing life still. Mm. So I was like, oh, that's, I think, a perspective we don't think of often enough. Mm-hmm. That's exactly true. I find that a lot of times people want to treat the elderly like their children or their babies, and mm-hmm. they're not. They're mm-hmm. adults who've had full lives and done 
things that we could only dream of doing some of them especially right now where a lot of our patients are vets mm-hmm. so they've been around the world and then you know you, you can't treat them like a child no but a lot of people do so you really have to remember this is you have to respect what they've gone through in their life yeah I, I feel like with disabled adults the tendency oh, is yes. there too even even people who aren't elderly but just disabled it's that tendency to want to infantilize them and it's it's not fair you know it, it's not acceptable it shouldn't be anyway but our society is a real problem with treating people who aren't physically capable mm-hmm. you know as as whole people yeah and that's gotta we gotta do better <laughs> we gotta do better hopefully talking about it and uh Having open discussions like this helps mm-hmm. a little bit and makes people think twice about how they approach it, mm-hmm. how they approach the elderly people in their life, you know? Uh, yes. So I strongly advise, you know, if you have grandparents parents that are still alive, talk to them, learn their stories because it's your story too. Absolutely. I need to be better about that too. Yeah. Yeah. I, my, my cousin and I did sit down some years ago and we did a... Uh, like our whole ancestry sheet, but it that best part was sitting there and talking to my grandmother about mm-hmm. it. Like, as we're finding names, we're like, "Do you know this person?" And and then she, oh yeah, and then she tell us like stories about them. And suddenly they're not just a name on a paper; mm-hmm. they're a human, right? You know that existed, that did things, that had hobbies and flaws, and got up and brushed their hair in the morning and argued with their siblings. And uh-huh. I do think we lose perspective on that quite a bit. That people in our past they aren't just a story or a shadow they're a person you know but the people that are still alive that remember them it's important to talk to them mm-hmm. you know and, and learn where we came from and the people we came from even with my parents and grandparents even mm-hmm. those two generations i feel like there's so much i can learn from them i can only imagine the stories that i could get from them because mm-hmm. i know that my children don't know half of my whole life mm-hmm. and what I've done and gone through. So yeah, it's, it's a lot that we can find out. It's a weird mix too. Cause I'm finding that as, as my oldest gets older, like how much do I want to tell him and how much do right. I want to try to protect him yeah. from, but am I doing him any favors by protecting him from it? Or is it just a better way for him to get to know me? And it's that weird line. Mm-hmm. I think that you walk as a parent between wanting to protect them, <laughs> but wanting them to be armed and right. have information and know, hey, life can kick you in the balls. I've done, I've you know experienced that, and this is how it happened, yeah. and this is how you can avoid it. You well, know? it depends on their age too, because I know that my two older children, I think I can tell them things mm-hmm. from experience, but they're at the age where they need to find out for themselves first. Yeah. Because, you know, mom doesn't That's really know fair. everything. <laughs> so you never know. You could tell them all of the things that you know, but they're going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, and I kind of think I'm I'm in that phase myself with, like, my parents. I'm getting to know more about them, but I'm also experiencing things that, you know, they've already been through. And every now and then... Uh, I'll talk to my dad about something and I'll be like, oh, my daughter's frustrating me. And he just laughs. Mm-hmm. He's like, I know. <laughs> He's like, I remember. And I'm like, yeah, look. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I feel like once my daughter had her kids, she was much more open mm-hmm. to hearing what I had to say about things. So I'm happy that happened. Yeah. I don't know that. It's weird. Being a parent is fucking weird Mm -hmm. and riding those lines like these arbitrary set of rules that you put out for yourself of things that you're not gonna do because you don't want your child to have to talk about you in therapy later right right (laughs) and like where do you how much do you share and how much do you not but yeah I, I find it I love him getting older I thought I wouldn't I thought I would miss him being little but I don't I love talking to Aiden, the young adult, mm-hmm. and finding out what his opinions are, what his thoughts are, what his perspective is. And I don't miss the little child as much as I thought I would, mm-hmm. you know? I don't know. With my daughter, I just she's just a hurricane, so I don't know where I'm at with her yet. <laughs> so she's a whirlwind of energy and, and emotion. <laughs> 
and opinions that she does not hold back. So right. that's only going to get worse. Yeah. For you for the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they lied too, because I remember everybody telling me that, oh, girls are so much easier to raise than boys. That is bullshit. It is. <laughs> it is absolute <laughs> bullshit. Oh my God. My son is the easiest kid to raise, but my daughter, and, it, and it's not that she's on the spectrum. It's not. It's just her personality is too much like mine. Yes. And it's a problem. That's how I am with my daughter. We're yeah. so much alike. And she'll say that too. Mm-hmm. Mom, it's, we're the same person sometimes. Yeah. It's like when uh, somebody introduces you to somebody and you're too close. Like you have, you're too close in personality. So you butt heads like right off yes. the bat. And everybody's like, oh, we thought you guys would get along because you're so much alike. And it's like, yeah, that's all the reasons we don't get along. <laughs> uh, I've had that happen too many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. I like, I kind of like to be the mom in the friend group a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've found that if I have a, uh, somebody else who's like a dominant mom type that does the same thing, it's like... It's that, that headbutting, like, no, these are my babies. <laughs> you find your own kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, no, you don't actually own any of them. So, <laughs> yeah, wisdom is important to gather from multiple sources. Mm-hmm. So, check your ego <laughs> going mm-hmm. forward. It's a hard thing to remember sometimes. So they can't just get everything from one source. They need multiples because you're human and you're often wrong as a human. <laughs> Back on topic. I will I topic jump terribly. So. <laughs> but you listen to the podcast, uh-huh. so you know. <laughs> uh, but one of the sources that I did find, it was a website called nurselabs.com. And on the site, um, I found an article titled 10 Creepy Nursing Ghost Stories by Gil Wayne, BSNRN, from December 31st of 2015. So it was a little older. And I remembered I looked what, looked up what BSN was because I wasn't sure. And now I don't remember. I know RN is a um, registered nurse? Yes. So, yeah. Cool, cool. The article is pretty much what it sounds like. It's 10 short spooky stories submitted by nurses. And I won't read all of them because the article itself is really good and does deserve a read. And because I want to discuss other things in the episode, you know, not just read stories the whole time. Although that is fun. Uh, However, this one story stood out to me. In fact, it kind of set off little triggers in your brain that say, hey, that sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. You know, when that happens, pardon me. And I was like, okay, I have to look into this because I know I've heard of something like this. And the story reads, uh, the story is titled Out the Window. And it reads, I was working on a night shift when a call light goes off in room 130. For all I know, this room has no one in it. So I canceled the light and walked to the desk, but it wouldn't cancel. So I walked down to the room just to check. Upon entering the room, I heard a a budging sound on the window like something or someone was trying to get out knowing what might be happening i took up all the courage i could and took a deep breath opened the lights and walked to the window and opened it i felt weird because a soft breeze went by me and flew by me and then out the window i later found out that a patient had died during the morning and apparently the nurses before my shift didn't open the window Weird as it may sound, but when someone passes, I let them go and open the room's windows. I've done that. I've done yeah. that. I had a patient that had passed away and was still in his bed. Mm-hmm. And I, I opened the window because I feel like you just should do it. Yeah, and I, I remembered hearing something mm-hmm. about that, like, culturally, that it was, it was a thing. And it set off a whole bunch of things in the back of my head. And I remember... I believe I remember my mom talking about it when I was younger about how it was just kind of um, a tradition for a lot of nurses. And it, the more I dug into to it, the more I kept finding more stories like this. So it was really kind of interesting to me. So I looked it up and it's a Scandinavian tradition of leaving okay. the window open in the room of a dying person so that once they pass on, their spirit can leave via the nearest open window. In fact, I found several articles mentioning stories of this tradition, and even more stories where people reported seeing a white mist exit the body of a loved one once they passed, and this mist floating to the nearest window and floating out to the sky. Wow. So, yeah, not just nurses doing this, but, like, there was a bunch of stories that I found of, like, patients in hospice, mm-hmm. too, like, in their homes, 
and passing in their homes and hospice workers that had seen things like this or family who had seen things like this too. And I thought that's really, really interesting, mm-hmm. you know, and it, the stories go across states, they go across countries, they go across religious boundaries. I mean, it's, it's crazy universal how much this is done. And I, I never realized it, but it's a beautiful gesture. I think very compassionate and very, um, I don't know, just kind, just very kind, mm-hmm. you know, and this is what, what I came to again, like I wanted spooky and I, I got sweet and kind. I <laughs> yeah. I had heard that before too. And I, again, I agree. It's mm-hmm. let it out, you know? Yeah. So we, I'm not a nurse, mm-hmm. but I'm in the nursing home and we do have patients that pass away. Mm-hmm. But it's not normally something that I would typically deal with. But I happened to go into his room and mm-hmm. he was there and no one had done it. And I don't even know if they do it or mm-hmm. they know that it's something that can be done. I yeah. Think. Yeah. He was one of my favorite, favorite guys. Oh, that'd be so hard. I don't yeah. know. That's a job I don't know that I could do. Yeah, it's tough sometimes. Yeah. I know I've lost, I've lost clients and people that I... I I've spent hours with mm-hmm. like just having conversations and sitting in the chair with them and getting to know them. And then, you know, it comes to me later, Hey, this person passed away and it's like, it hits you hard. Mm-hmm. It, even if, you know, they're not family, if you're in those scenarios where you, you're kind of forced to be around each other, you know, you do develop bonds and, right. and have these great conversations. And it's, I, I think it's one of the reasons I like podcasting and I like, all this in general why I like storytelling right because conversations you know so yeah that just that was hard and I'm like I know it's not something I signed up for but right. you know when you work with people it's a risk mm-hmm. the hardest part for me is not when the not when the patients or the residents pass away usually mm-hmm. because they've had a full life and maybe at the end it wasn't the greatest life or if they're in pain or yeah um suffering from dementia or something Mm -hmm. like that but for me the hardest part is the family yeah like when the family comes in to get their belongings you know then you're just like you know they don't have their dad anymore they don't have their mom anymore yeah so that's a really hard part for me is when the family comes in you know i imagine too it's that it's kind of uh, hard to like see a human being that you you know was a fully realized person and then they're gone and it feels like they're just kind of reduced to their Mm -hmm. things you know, that represent them. Mm-hmm. That's a hard one. That's that's one of those mortality checks, too, where you're right. like, man, I need to live. <laughs> right. I, right. I need to get out and I need to do stuff. I need to experience the world. Right. Yeah. But you do. You do a lot of cool stuff, though. Um, you do the burlesque? Uh, I'm a stage kitten for uh, the burlesque troupe out of South Bend. That's so cool. It's so fun. Those girls are amazing. It looks fun. It looks like a blast. Yes. Every time you post pictures, I'm like, this looks like a, just a riot. I want to go. I know I need to go. But so often your shows are when I'm working and I'm like, yes. ah. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to start um, performing more now with COVID easing up. Yay. Yes. And there's also a Rocky Horror Shadow cast. Really? That, yes. That is happening in South Bend. Um, with COVID, it's been shut down, but um, they're called the Hot Patooties, and it's a group, and it. it's going to get back together, so you can definitely come to those shows Yay. when they start. I'll keep you posted. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love I love performing arts. I'm not a performer by any means, but I love going and seeing them. Mm-hmm. You know, I love, uh, I love theater. I love stage. Uh, that I got from my mom, mm-hmm. but I think big for me is stand-up comedy, too. Yes. I yes. love stand-up comedy. We go to some... They had some shows at Five Star. Did they? Yes. But cool. with COVID again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they might start up again, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I know one of my favorites is a guy called uh, Matthew Bronger, and he's going to be... Mm-hmm. He just started up his tour again, and I'm like... Okay. I'm looking at my husband, and I'm like, you know, you know we've got to try to go, right? Uh-huh. And he goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> It's like, yeah. just not going to the one in Chicago. I'm not dealing with Chicago traffic. And I'm like, fair, we'll find another one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we really enjoy doing that too. So we try to go as much as we can mm-hmm. um, for comedy. 
Yeah, that's... I think it's... Honestly, I think for a while, comedy was the only thing keeping kind of performing arts alive in people's minds, sadly. Especially, like, in the 90s, I think it kind of felt like it was taking a dip, and then things just started going back. Yeah, they. I know they weren't the only ones. There was a whole lot of other performers, but it felt like in the public's mind. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was just because TV was getting so big at that time, though. You know, and some, like, sitcoms and mm. cartoons... And we're all very nostalgic for all of that from yeah. the 90s, you know? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Speculation. But I, I don't know I'd ever have the courage to do it, but I love watching it and I love supporting performing arts. And that's something else we should all do. Support performing arts. So, yes. yeah. Not just be in front of our TVs. <laughs> yeah. So we're very excited about being out more, mm-hmm. going to shows. I've missed it. I've yes. missed it. I even missed going through the movie theater. You know? Me too. There's it's something about the popcorn and just being focused on the screen. If you're at home watching a movie, you can get up and take the dog out, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but you're kind of, yeah, you're you're made to pay attention. And it's too easy when you're watching a movie at home to, like, pick up your phone yes. and, and look stuff up. And I'm terrible about that because if I see an actor, I'm like, I must know of all of their career. Yes, and yeah. yes we do the same thing. Right? <laughs> Every movie. I know him from somewhere. What is it? I don't know. I can't watch the movie until I figure it out. Yeah. IMBD, Internet Movie Database, has saved my relationship several times. Because <laughs> Scotty and I have gotten in those arguments like, no, I swear this guy was on the show. And he's like, no, it's not him. And I'm like, yes, it is. And we'll pull it up and see. Because <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> then you have proof right there. See? <laughs> Yes. It's happened a lot. Uh, we do the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of couples. I know my parents a few times. They've had those arguments. And my mom is, is um, she's one of those people, like, when she's sure of something, she's sure of something, whether or not she's right. I love you, Mom. But, so you have to, like, look, see? Yeah, because she, she will <laughs> not believe you if she thinks she's right. So, <laughs> I got a little bit of that from her. That's me. All right, so now we're back from the intermission and a small technical difficulty there on my part. I forgot to put the mic back on, but now we're back and um, you were telling us uh, you have a paranormal story. I do. Awesome. So I work in the nursing home, as I said, and uh, years ago when I first started, we had a patient who had been a nurse and when she was a patient with us, she was a bit demanding and when it was time for her, she passed away, and we started getting reports from the 911 call center mm-hmm. um, in the town, and it was a small town um, that I had worked in at that time, and they called our nursing station, and they were like, we just got a 911 call from your building, and no one had called, Huh. so they were like, okay, we'll go check it out. There's there's no one in the room that you're reporting they're mm-hmm. calling from. So they were like, it had to be some kind of fluke. We don't know. So then the next day, the same thing happens. And the dispatch calls and they oh. say, we're getting a 911 call from this room in your facility. Again, could you go check mm. it out? And they're like, yeah, we'll go check it out. So they go into the room and then... They're in there, and they're like, the telephone is in here, but it's not even connected. So there's no way anyone could be calling from this room. Ah! So it was a little bit creepy, but... Um, and it was, it was her room? It was her room. Oh, yes. man. Yeah, and I can totally see... I could totally see her, her, her <laughs> spirit calling to be like, get me out of here. Somebody listened to me, damn it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Mm-hmm. That is... That's cool, but wild. Mm-hmm. That I've heard of things like that though. There, that was a few stories too that um, I found with some of the um, the like nursing sites is um, alerts going off like mm-hmm. for empty rooms um, or like monitor or, like the the heartbeat things mm-hmm. devices. Mm, me and my technical terms here, um, like going off but like nobody was hooked up to them and yeah that that kind of stuff is like wow how much of it is technical glitches and how much of it is you know somebody that's still 
trying to exist, mm-hmm. you know, in this plane. I, I don't know. I love the thought process of it, though. I love the idea of it. And then kind of terrifying, I guess, at the same time to feel stuck. Right. You know? So maybe it's just you're lost for a little bit and hopefully you eventually find your way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, oh, man, that's wild to think about. Yeah. And it wasn't even really... It wasn't even really creepy. It was more like, yeah, we get it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now we know. We know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of um, my, when my uncle passed away. He had a thing for hummingbirds. Mm-hmm. He had a bunch of hummingbird feeders. And I guess not long after he passed away, my aunt said that they were just like, there would just be hummingbirds around all the time. Like whenever she went somewhere, there'd be hummingbirds Aww. around. So... I always thought that was really sweet. So whenever I see a hummingbird, I think of him. I mean, it does make you wonder if there aren't little ways that they, they let us know. Mm-hmm. So I always think that's neat. Those little little moments. I really enjoy those little the little romantic takes, though, on death, I guess. Uh, it's something I think our society has only recently been really comfortable talking with. I know the funeral industry is fairly new. That only popped up around the 1800s, around the Victorian times. And then they were kind of weirdly obsessed with death. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if we're a society or culture obsessed with it, but it's certainly a focus. You know, I feel like we think about it as we should. I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting. But it, it kind of, uh, the story of the whole, like, with the mist and everything, it makes me think of, like, um, you see it in films, too. And the two films that I thought about, like, right off the, the top of my head were um, Birdman, which I don't know if you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, it stars Michael Keaton um, and Emma Stone. And he's basically, he's playing a guy who played a superhero and then can't, like, you know, get past that image of him being that superhero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that one. Kind of like, you know, him and Batman when he played Batman, Yeah. Um, But the end of it is kind of ambiguous and spoilers, but the movie, as I said, is from, you know, it's 2014. So, but at the end, um, there's sort of this ambiguous spot where he's in the hospital and you don't know if if it's kind of implied that he dies. And Emma Stone, who plays his daughter, like runs to the window and then she looks up into the sky. And then at first she was upset and distressed. And then as she's looking up into the sky, she smiles. And it was kind of that going back to that mist going out the window mm-hmm. thing i thought of that like right away and it was funny how that kind of came in and it even even was so culturally pervasive that it, it made its way into a movie mm-hmm. um and then I, I for some reason just because i'm a nerd the mummy films mm-hmm. <laughs> the death is only the beginning kind of thing but less ominous <laughs> but i like to think of it as a start but it seems, yeah, like I said, it was a tradition for many nurses all over the globe, um, or caretakers, or um, hospice workers, family members, anything like that. And a lot of nurse-oriented pages, though, talked about it. Uh, allnurses.com. Um, no, it's not a porn page. <laughs> kind of sounds like a porn page. So, but it's not. <laughs> um, or a user by the name of, and you're going to like this, Sue Squatch RN. Oh my goodness. Yeah, because uh, Rachel is a... Uh, Sasquatch fan, a Bigfoot fan, yes. much like Taylor, yeah. But uh, Susquatch RN reported the story on October 28th of 2009, and it said in nursing school, my instructor said that they would open a window when a person died so that his spirit could leave. I thought it was a bit superstitious, but kept quiet. A little over a month ago, my dad died. It was a cold day, but someone had cracked a window in the room. And last night, I had my first patient die on my shift. An aide told me she thought Mrs. M had died. I went into her room, and sure enough, she was gone. Her quick death was a blessing as she had advanced cancer in only a couple days in severe pain. I sat with her, patted her, shed a few small tears, straightened the crucifix she wore, and then because I wanted to do something to honor her, I opened the window. And it was one of those like almost blog-style posts where like mm-hmm. people can comment on it. And in the comments was just a whole bunch of healthcare workers that all had similar stories mm-hmm. or similar things that they had done. And again, it, it went back to a lot of them. And this is why I think there's something to it, because it's the same story. Mm-hmm. It's consistent. And human beings, we're not consistent right. at all. If we've learned anything, is we are not consistent. 
And it's consistently the same story. You know, a white mist leaving the body, heading to her window. I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, like I said, when I got into this, I was expecting to find some good old-fashioned spooky tales, but instead I find this this beautiful and compassionate gesture that kind of gives you the warm of fuzzies, and I'm like, yeah, leave it to good nurses and, and good healthcare staff to do that to you and give you hope instead of fear when you're looking for <laughs> right. fear, you know? So because I'm not a good nurse and I, I really wanted some good chills, I couldn't leave it. And I, I tried really hard in my research to find like hospital ghost stories. And that comes to the second part of what I wanted to talk about today is I couldn't find any medical hospital mm-hmm. ones, like very few. Most of what I found was all the the mental institutions, sanatoriums, asylums. And holy crap, do I not want to cover that. <laughs> um, a, I feel like a, it's, it's been done to death. Anytime anybody talks about the paranormal, it's kind of like, I feel like we get beat over the head with it. Mm-hmm. And I can't say this enough for my listeners. Fuck Waverly Hills. I was so goddamn sick of finding like a shit ton of things on Waverly Hills. It, again, it's been done to death, but I feel like at this point it's kind of become this like bastion for look how scary mentally health, you know, mentally ill or mentally mm-hmm. disabled people are. And, and it, aren't they scary? And isn't this place terrifying? And I, th- I feel like they kind of try to like sidestep it by, oh no, we also got spooky stories of doctors and nurses that never left. And I'm like, mm, yeah, but is that why, it, you know, that's not why people find it afraid. You're frightening. It's the word sanatorium or mm-hmm. asylum. That's where the fear comes in for people. You know, and maybe to be fair, maybe it is the fear of ever being in an institution like that because they are notoriously now known as having been awful places. But it just kind of feels like, you know, it's something I feel like we need to move on from, you know, or be very, very cautious and careful, especially if you're a content creator of how you approach it mm-hmm. and being very careful not to demonize these people and and not to further victimize them more than they were already victimized. And I I got so frustrated with that. And just story after story after story of it. And then when I went to look for, like, hospital stories, I had a, like, I could find some, like, small things here and there, but there was never any, like, meat to the stories. It was always kind of vague things. But the one thing I did find, which I, I think it's an interesting video, and I didn't see anything that proved it was a hoax or anything, um, there was a really interesting video on a ghost that was supposed to be in a, a hosp- an abandoned hospital in Honduras. And um, it, it's really spooky. It's like it's a camera like looking down a hall and like all of a sudden this like kind of transparent beige like figure comes out and um, just kind of walks out a little bit and then vanishes. But the story that goes with it is that it was a doctor who hung himself in the halls and they never gave any reason or any backstory or anything. And it's like, okay. (laughs) And like, what happened? Like, why? Who was this guy? You know, was he stressed? Was it when the hospital was closing? Because it looked fairly new. Like, the equipment didn't look that old, I guess. Like, it had like a a bed that was in the frame and it looked fairly recent. So I was kind of like, it it didn't look rusty either. Dusted and, you know, like the hall, it looked dusty and uncleaned and unkempt, but it didn't look like it was old. So I'm like, come on guys, if if it's this recent, give us some backstory. And there isn't any, I'm afraid. So, but if anybody looks up um, the Honduras hospital ghost, you'll, you'll find the video. It's short, but it's really, interesting and compelling um other things that i found were just little things um some were like army hospitals but again it was never anything meaty it's it's a lot of things like stuff being moved or alarms going off or um there's uh one that i did find that was interesting though and this one was one i found in hospitals all over the world and it's a story of the gray nurse and supposedly it's a female 
in a very strange gray uniform that shows up and helps like younger doctors or newer nurses and um, helps with patients that are like dying or in their last stages. And there were stories of them, uh, of her like helping a patient get into bed. Oh, wow. Or um, pointing out, there was one story where it was like she pointed out like a chart that they couldn't find that they needed or some tools or medication that they were looking for. But the the stories, again, it goes back to that thing of, like, looking for something spooky, guys, and I just wasn't finding it. And that's just helpful. Yeah. But it was weird because I found stories of her in Australia, in London, in America, just all over. And the descriptions were always the same. It was an older woman in a gray uniform that was just described as odd. Not as old, not as period, but as odd. Right. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, but I thought that was wild and kind of interesting, you know? Strange, but cool. Right. Really cool to think that there might be a being out there looking out for looking out for people. Right. In her own little sweet and compassionate way and helping a new staff get a, <laughs> get acclimated and and things like that there there's even a couple of like i know it's it's kind of an overall stereotype but for newer doctors nurses or healthcare like once they get overwhelmed to like go in the supply closet mm-hmm. and cry yeah <laughs> kind of kind of stories and there was a few of those where like she would pop up and like comfort people and oh, then wow. like yeah i thought that was that was a neat one that I thought would be fun to kind of, you know, share with people. Seems determined that, you know, if we're, if we're going to go speak, we're going to have to go the mental route, and I didn't want to do that. The other route was a lot like this. Yeah. So I did come across some, too, like, nothing specific, but stories, too, of, like, doctors who had passed on and then would help, like, be helpful, like, in the afterlife or, like, help with, like, one patient that they were really concerned with before they passed, and then... After that patient was taken care of, like, nothing ever happened again. I, like, there was a few stories of that that I found with both doctors and nurses. And, and it was it was a lot of really cool, compassionate stories. And that kind of got me thinking that maybe that is the story that mm-hmm. we should be telling. Anyway, maybe, the, you know, well, the spooky aspect is fun. And that's it's a fun thing of the paranormal. Everybody kind of likes to be a little scared and a little spooked. Yeah. But maybe in this aspect, it just wasn't meant to be. You know, maybe this is the stuff we should be talking about anyway. If there are ghosts and if there are paranormal events going on, that they're largely helpful or compassionate or sweet, you know. Another one that I read that I thought was very, very sweet was a nurse who had lost a patient. And she didn't realize he had he had passed. She had just started her shift. And he had died on her off shift. And she got there and she saw him standing at the end of the hallway and she waved to him and he waved back and smiled. And then she went to her station that she found out later he had died the night before. Mm-hmm. And how she thought he was just coming back to let her know that it was okay. All right, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, that is so sweet. And I'm yeah. like, guys, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're not going to do spooky. <laughs> that's that's not, uh, not what, where this went, but I... I I do kind of like the more heartwarming aspect yeah. of it a lot. And then, again, leave it to healthcare professionals to right. put you there. <laughs> Nothing scares healthcare professionals. Not a, a little ghost wouldn't scare them anyway. No, I kind of feel like once you deal with, with some of the... Once you deal with mortality, mm-hmm. and that's your business. Yeah. And I think it takes a lot to kind of spook anybody who deals with that on a, on a mm-hmm. daily it's really cool but hats off like i don't know how people in those industries people like you how you guys do it and it's so great that you're there and it's really cool that to know that there are people that really care you know mm-hmm. i kind of feel like there's a disconnect especially right now with the current climate nobody trusts professionals mm-hmm. and no and people definitely aren't respecting doctors or nurses or healthcare staff like they need to. To me, that's really sad, mm-hmm. you know? And yes, there certainly are people in the field that are jaded and, and rude. I mean, there's humans. Right. You know, you're gonna have that no matter what the field is, but teachers, you know, at everybody, any any 
profession that there is, there's always going to be unpleasant and jaded people. Right. But I think it's that you find what you're looking for, you know, and if you're looking for ways to be mistrustful, if you're looking for ways to be afraid or you're searching for conspiracy theories, you're going to find it, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And I think it there needs to be a reminder that, you know, healthcare professionals are not part of giant conspiracies mm-hmm. and it's nothing like that. It they're they're human beings. They're trying to make a living and they're trying to do the best they can mm-hmm. and connect with other human beings and take care of them. You know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're bad apples, but but by and large, like this I feel like this is a really good representation of that community of people. Mm-hmm. You know? Where you if you really look and you're trying to find something spooky or to be afraid of, you're not going to find it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're going to find a lot of really kind and really caring and really compassionate people who work their asses off. Yeah. I feel like we did, I mean, we all do get jaded sometimes. And it was really, it was really rough during the whole COVID lockdown mm-hmm. because all of a sudden you have these, these residents. Mm-hmm. Who can't have visitors. Their yeah. family cannot come. You know, you can't even... You can have a conversation through a window, but you can't open the window. Mm-hmm. These patients are hard of hearing. Some can't be on the phone, you know? Yeah. Um. So when we were working so hard during that time, we had to change everything we did. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was re- it was really hard. Um, but then you thought about how... They only have you. Yeah. You know, so their family couldn't come in. So guess what? Hey, you, do you need a hug today? Because I'm here. I can give that to you if you need it. So countless times it was like, listen, I know you miss your family. Mm-hmm. We're here. If you need it, tell us because we can give that to you. So I can't imagine how it had to be for the family members either to be like, we can call our parents, but if they can't really speak to us on the phone, we're trusting you. To take care of what they need. Yeah. So it was a very long year. We're just now opening up, Yeah. You know? So I feel like we had we had to do a lot more for our, our patients than we normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I work in therapy, but we were doing serving meals, you know, doing anything that we had to do just to get through. And we just, it just made us that much closer to them. So even though we're having a real, like having a bad day or mm-hmm. worrying about, bringing this stuff home to our kids Mm -hmm. um you had to do it because that's all that's who they had yeah you know so yeah i've been there a long time so there are a lot of people you get connected to and yeah it's like you have another family so i imagine i imagine i i don't know how you could be in kind of a a pressure cooker situation like that and not get attached Mm -hmm. and if you don't then you're in the wrong you're in the wrong place you know if you can't yeah. If you can't treat these people like they're your family and take care of them as you would your own family, please don't, don't yeah. even go because we don't want you there. No, nope. And I understand that. I, I understand too the frustration and getting jaded because arguably, especially people that work like in the ER scenario mm-hmm. or something like that, you're literally seeing people at their worst. Yes. You I know, could not, I could never do that job. No, I couldn't either. But it, it's that thing of like you, you're not seeing people at their best. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're literally seeing them when they're weak, when they're scared, when they're hurting. You know, you're not gonna get the best version of humanity. Right. You know, and for the people that are in that industry that remember that and keep their compassion, hats off. Right. You know, because that that's hard. That's got to be hard mm-hmm. to keep that in your head at all times. Like, they're not yelling at me. Right. They're scared. Mm-hmm. They're frustrated. They're tired. They're in pain. They are frustrated with the situation, and I am here. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. you know, but that's also on everybody who is not in that industry to remember that we are at our worst and we cannot take it out on the people trying to help us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're adults. And we need to be self-aware. And that's an aspect that I think we all as a whole kind of need to keep in mind. You know, that we're humans dealing with humans. So we all just, you know, try to do our best. And I think it goes back to that um, that Michelle McNamara quote. Like, it's all chaos. 
be kind. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. She she had it right. <laughs> and I think it's just something that we need to remember, especially now. I feel like there's some healing going on. There's some people that are definitely trying to keep rifts going. But I think it's up to us whether or not we listen to them. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that has got to... That healing is going to be coming back to respecting people that are in these positions again you know and and understanding every that the the past year in the pandemic has been incredibly hard on anybody who works in the healthcare industry it's been so rough and and like you were saying like being scared of taking a home to your family and other mm-hmm. stories of doctors and nurses who had to isolate themselves mm-hmm. and not been able to see their families yeah in the beginning it was really hard and um just not knowing Mm -hmm. anything about it like how easy is it to spread to my family what do I need to do when I go home Mm -hmm. um having my son be isolated from me for a few weeks was really rough because Mm -hmm. I just was so afraid for him to get sick so that's a choice I had to make but yeah thankfully it's coming to a close yeah yeah Ugh, boy, like, they tell you that you find out what you're made of when mm-hmm. you when you go through stuff. And, and we've seen both good and bad, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. A lot of bad, but I've seen a lot of people coming together. And a lot of people that chose to double down on compassion mm-hmm. instead of frustration, instead of anger. Gives me a lot of hope, you know. And again, you, it goes back to that, you'll find what you seek, mm-hmm. you know. If you're only seeking the negative stuff, if you're only seeking to see the bad, then that's what you're going to find, you know? So try to look at everything. It's about balance. It's always about balance. But I think that uh, that covers it. So do you have anything you want to add? Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you for giving your perspective, too. Yeah. I really, I'm glad that we had, especially on this episode and this topic. Right, right. It seemed to all work out. It did. It did. Yeah. My, my initial frustration with the, <laughs> with the the research, you know, I, I think it turned into something, else that maybe needed to be out there. Mm-hmm. Not not frustrated anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I like that. I I think uh, I think I'm gonna start leaving a window open. <laughs> so, all right. Well. Just so uh, everybody knows, if you're interested at all for being uh, a guest on the show, you can always message me on Instagram at the Wicked Side Podcast. You could always email me, still at Wicked Myths uh, Podcast at gmail.com. I, I know I say I'm working on it, I swear. One of these days, <laughs> I'm going to get on it. And unfortunately, we're still a Wicked Myth on um, the Facebook. So we're, you know, I don't know. I've thought about going back to Wicked Myth, though. I really do like that name. <laughs> even though we don't really do myths anymore but i don't know but yeah so that's where we're at if anybody's interested i have a whole list of topics we can choose from we do still discuss myths if you're interested in that ghost stories paranormal and dark history so anything that kind of floats your boat let me know uh message me and it was good thank you everybody for coming back we appreciate having you thank you for coming on rachel appreciate you And we'll see you on the other side. Have a good night.